Welcome to Running on Ice, the coolest community in freight. I'm your host, Mary O'Connell, bringing you the latest tech updates, warehouse news, and everything happening in the cold chain world. Not only is there the coolest show in freight, but there's also Running on Ice, the newsletter that could not be colder. You can subscribe to that on freightwaves.com slash running on ice. Today, we welcome back the one and only Juan Mizell, founder and CEO at Grip. Welcome back to the show, Juan. Thank you, Mary. Good to see you. I am excited about today um, because I've been following you guys for a while, and you guys took a, took a jump in an interesting direction, uh, and that is to kind of start these uh, temperature-controlled e- uh, kind of fulfillment centers. And uh, I got to say, at first, I was like, what? Then I was like, oh, I guess it kind of makes sense. So kind of jumping right in, what, does, what inspired you guys to kind of jump into this fulfillment center space? Um, yeah, what made you guys do it? Yeah, totally. So some... You know, history on it, and you've been following us for some time, is we started purely as the technology layer that decides how to ship boxes. So basically looking at millions of data points through the network and understanding what's the absolute best way to get a box, something perishable, which means refrigerated or frozen, from point A to point B. And, you know, after we uh, did that for some time and we built this incredible platform that uh, was really missing in the market, like our customers were getting great value from it, but... At the end of the day, if you do all that right, but you're still having trouble like actually fulfilling and shipping the boxes on the ground, then there's always going to be a disconnect. And the industry for direct-to-consumer perishables is so new that like it's very fragmented because that's just how the industry has evolved. So it, there was just this opportunity to be you know the player in the space that had all the points connected through the ecosystem so that we would all run it through the same platform and then you just have every single data point and every single movement of the products and goods within the same platform so uh, that has been a really really big value unlock for our customers where they just had to deal with you know multiple companies multiple softwares multiple processes multiple systems and everything it was just fragmented so uh, with this it was a very clear path to us it was actually our same customers who pushed us into it uh, uh, you know very quickly basically knowing that we had done it before, uh, you know, in the butcher box states and some other companies that we were advising as well. And uh, it was just a very clear path for us. Uh, and, you know, it's been great to see the the evolution of it from a pure software. And, and you know, we were also getting very involved in the operation because we we're very hands-on with our customers to understand uh, what they need and, and what else we can help with. But uh, now, you know, we're definitely all in, in it and we've seen it a pretty fun evolution of, of the, the customer journey that, you know, starts with the technology and then we just end up helping them to the full end to end of the supply chain. I feel like that has to be a pretty good, like, feeling when your customers are like, hey, are you doing this? And you're like, oh, I guess not, but I guess we could. And they're like, yeah, you should do this and you should kind of take this over. I feel like that's got to be a pretty good pat on the back that they, like, you know, see your value and your worth and recognize and say, you should do more because we would love to give you more business. Totally. totally. I mean, we were just making fun the other day that a lot of people cause a CAS, so company as a service and not a SaaS or a 3BL just because we do so much for them. Uh, you know, we're very deep into the full you know, data infrastructure and sending notifications to their customers and, you know, organizing the full backend of how they work. And now also with our boots on the ground and actually shipping the boxes, it's basically like, you know, we actually just they take all the heavy work, the heavy work of their place for logistics and operations, and they focus on building the products, on uh, innovating uh, with you know new stuff that they can sell to their customers, with 
um, you know, the front end of their websites with like actually building brand equity um, and we're taking care of and it's just incredible to see also how lean our customers can be by offloading all these in the back end to us where, you know, before these, they just needed all these people to to manage all these different partners and vendors. But if you just have you know, everything flowing through one API connection into the one system, and then you just get all the bills very organized from that one provider, you just know it's been taken care of. You know, you can just focus your efforts on something more value add. Oh, absolutely. That's something that, has come up a lot lately, um, kind of in talking about different areas within a company or an organization. And that is, you know, remembering that, you know, if I'm a shipper or if I'm a, if I'm a, someone that has one of these, uh, has a, has a box that I would like to offer to people, you know, uh, my specialty is that product that I sell and it is coming up with new products and innovations. It's not, how do I get something from Seattle to Chicago and keep it at 30 degrees? So, that is something that I think more and more people are realizing that, okay, well, this is just because I have this, you know, I want to cover coast to coast network. I don't have to suddenly have the lo- entire logistics department to go from, from Seattle to Miami. Like I can, I can lean on partners and I can give it, I can hand it over to people who are the experts who can do it. So that way I can focus more on my business and the products that I want to sell. And I do love that people are kind of recognizing that and saying, okay, well, I'm going to focus on what I'm really good at and I'm going to hand this off to people who are really good at what they do. Totally, totally. And, and uh, you know, we've seen it, like companies that decide to go that that route and just be more lean and and like go more towards a partnership model. Uh, we just seen that it just unlocks growth for them because reality is that resources are limited and also more nowadays that you know, a lot of companies are not, getting the funding that they used to get is, hey, you know, let me just optimize this by not giving resource giving resources or a lot of attention to these that I can just plug into someone that I know that the only thing that they're doing and the only mission that they have is making that right. So like of course a company is gonna do it much more efficiently at a better cost and, you know, with better data traceability that because it's the only thing that they do versus just trying to rebuild the whole model. But we compare it also to like trying to rebuild a stripe the payment processing system like if that if you're a direct consumer company that's where you're focusing your resources on um you know i definitely think that you have some things to to rethink and i and i don't think that supply chain is necessarily there yet that you know it's just a one connection you don't have to worry about anything but with things with the things that we put in place and you know some other players out there for sure um we're more so getting there and that democratizes the whole you know access to it as well where if you're a small company that has a great product now you don't have to spend your resources optimizing for the supply chain. You can just plug into someone that can do that all that for you. And you can just focus on getting more people to know your product. So one of the things that you guys have done is you have a couple of these new fulfillment centers. Do you kind of see, uh, do you guys see, you know, having to add more kind of and grow that footprint as more and more companies kind of, you know, use your services and would like you guys to be their fulfillment experts? Uh, we, yeah, we've had to for sure. Uh, I mean, we already have to uh, move from one facility to the other because we needed much more uh, space. And, uh, you know, that happened pretty fast a couple months after we launched, uh, which was great to see. But then also, you know, we should have probably planned better for that. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's been that whole side has been great. We we actually cover the entire country right now in two days, under two days uh, in shipping. So we get to about 50 to 60 percent in one day. So 24 hours and the rest in 48 hours. So 
we don't necessarily need more uh, facilities to to get to places of the country. We could use more facilities to get there faster. But at some point, you know, you start getting diminishing returns by the more facilities that you open and, uh, you know, brands, there's also an inventory, carrying inventory cost for them. So they don't necessarily want to be, uh, you know, in, in four or five facilities all the time. That kind of does make sense because I think uh, a lot of the people that you guys work with are those small to medium sized shippers uh, where, you know, it's it's easy to kind of work out of maybe a freezer or your house or like a very small facility. But the, uh, the 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 jump from a smaller facility to, you know, like a three million bajillion dollar warehouse is kind of a large jump that not everyone can swing. So um, I do kind of that is a very important thing that uh, happens is, you know, they don't those small to medium sized shippers, they don't have millions of dollars to have inventory all over the country. So they really kind of have to maximize it where it is. Um, have you guys run into problems? Uh, I guess you kind of alluded to it a little bit where you opened a facility and you had to hurry up and open another one because you had so much demand. Um, have you guys run into any tr- problems like, you know, finding these temperature controlled spaces for people? Okay, we have, uh, you know, in- initially and, and you know, most people were looking at this a year plus ago where, you know, the Nordic specifically, uh, capacity was very tight. Uh, some other markets as well. Um, I think our, our, like our value proposition in the space is is very strong from a unit economic standpoint because if you take a facility that's doing pilot in pilot out and then you start adding a lot more you start doing a lot more value added activities like you know picking by the unit and then shipping boxes where you're getting like multiple dollars per box then the business model makes a lot more sense to grab space that might not make sense if you're just doing pilot in pilot out so just for that reason it's been a little bit easier for us and then also, what we do with this is everything gets optimized before the products get to the ground. So once like an order gets to the ground, there's zero decisions that are made. At that point, we're just following instructions. So that basically like optimizes the full you know flow of product and how we are using the square feet of these warehouses. So that has made it a little bit easier for us, but not to say that you know the the market is definitely challenging. You know, I think that's probably going to alleviate within the next couple of years, as you see millions of, you know, square feet being built specifically on the frozen and the uh, refrigerated side and mostly on the hot markets as, you know, everything else with supply and demand. But uh, yeah, it's definitely been, been challenging for sure for over the last year or so. Oh yeah, there. Uh, that's why the, I feel like there's kind of like a whole, like, you know, there's all this like warehouse space is kind of opening on the dry van side and it's not as tight as it was, but cold chain i feel like you could probably build like 700 more 300 square foot 300,000 square foot warehouses and people will be like that's still not enough i mean you see it and it's also like if you look at the average age of a frozen facility it's like somewhere from like 40 to 60 years if you look at the average age so you know those are facilities that are not as tall so you can't fit that many you know pallets in them uh the refrigeration units are not as efficient so you're not getting you know you're having to pay a lot to keep up with them and maintain it so you see a lot of innovation in that space eh, as well so you know there's a lot of things where like hey even if the market is tight if you open a facility that's much more efficient that's going to allow you to keep you know costs low and that's going to allow you to service your customer better as well so there's probably still space for you know new facilities even if the market is not necessarily asking for more oh absolutely i think uh i think i think we could all just the 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 fact that some of the like some warehouses are still like 60 years old does still might blow my mind a little because 
you know, the, warehousing 60 years ago versus today is quite a lot different. So um, I can only imagine. I just kind of want to see some of the retrofits that exist in that because I feel like it has to be like, a, huh, I guess that does work. Yeah, I mean, we see some of those and then they do a great job uh, retrofitting. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like the core of the facility that you can't necessarily change or, you know, to change refrigeration units is also sometimes millions of dollars. So, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of money that have gone into these facilities and not all of them have, you know, paid all the money back. So that means that you just like basically need, need to keep working on it until you get the ROI back. Exactly. Um, one of the things that we've seen kind of, well, I guess we're coming out of it now that we're coming into the spring, but over the winter time. You know, there at one point in time, there was a snowstorm that took out literally like half the country and most of the Midwest with it. So I guess how does that work with your because you guys do that fulfillment services. So kind of um, how do you kind of bring the unpredictability of, you know, winter storms and mudslides out west and wildfires and hurricanes? How do you bring all of those unpredictable moments um, into a little bit more predictability so that way your customers and your clients can kind of, you know, have that, that, that like sigh of relief of like, okay, there is a winter storm, but I'm still going to get product out and I'm still not going to lose millions of dollars because there's snow across half the country. Yeah. So the, the way that we do this is every time one of our customers is going to ship an order, we look at what's the specific time frame of when that order is going to be on the road. And then we look at the path of the order and we look at what type of major weather events could be impacting that route which means, you know, origin, path, and destination. And through that, we assess what are the different events that have the biggest impact in the supply chain and delays. And then with that, we provide recommendations of what to do with it. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's very challenging, right? Because these things are moving and changing very fast. And every single customer has different, you know, risk aversion strategies. Some of them could be like, hey, you know, just ship it. I need to try to get the product there anyway, or someone else could be, hey, I don't really want to reach the product, so they just hold it and ship it in a couple of days. But what we do is we provide our customers with all this information so that we can together with them make the decisions of what. So we say, hey, this order is going to be, you know, impacted by a blizzard going through Colorado in the next three days and it's bringing 12 inches of snow. And then the day after that it's going to be sunny and we're shipping this order from Texas. So we can get it north when the blizzard is heating and then the day after when the order is going to be there for the final mile, then everything is going to be cleared up because they have pretty good, uh, you know, road, uh, like snow cleaning systems, for example, in the state of Colorado. So those are all like decisions that we make with our customers. And that's how we are proactive about it so that we just don't have orders sitting in a facility and just spoiling or customers that are waiting for food or something very important to get delivered to the house. They just never hear anything. So uh, that's basically the approach that we take. And what it does is it takes what it would have been a pretty bad experience for a customer and it flips it on the head on the head and it makes it a very, very good one. Because if you're waiting for something and this company just reaches out to you saying that there's a major weather event in this route and they explain like what it's you know that's causing the product. Like me personally, I mean also because I'm in logistics, but like I would fall in love with that brand because I know that they have their stuff together when it comes to you know, the data, where am I located, the product that I ordered, like the time frame of when the order is going to be on the road. I just like know that, you know, they have their shit together. Yeah, absolutely. I would, uh, even if that was me, I would like, if, if I get anything that's like, hey, FYI, we're going to ship this, but it, we're going to just kind of scooch it a little bit. So that way, like nothing gets stuck in a storm or, you know, all of this thing, like any sign of forethought that a, sh that a shipper or someone I'm buying from has, 
uh, I will take a delay all day long. I will say, oh, okay, do you need to delay it a week? That's fine. Just because they had that foresight to go, hey, we're going to, this is, this is going to be a problem. But instead of just saying it's stuck in a blizzard somewhere, we don't know where we actually have worked ahead to be like, no, it's okay. Don't worry. Everything's fine. Like, of course, from a refund and a receipt perspective, you know, you save a bunch of money, but then also from a lifetime value of the customer, that's where I think it has the most impact because at this point, if you're a direct-to-consumer brand, you have already paid for that customer acquisition cost, which, you know, even more so nowadays, it's, it's pretty high. So it, that way, customers or, uh, you know, direct-to-consumer companies are waiting for a few shipments based on revenue from each customer to be able to recoup that money and start making money on that customer. So... If shipment one or two, you just mess up the delivery experience, then the biggest hit to the bottom line is the lifetime value of that customer. Yeah, 100%. Just like with any other business, uh, if if I know that you do a good job and you make a mistake after I know that you already do a good job, I'm much more likely to forgive versus if it's the first time and there's a mistake. That's not going to that's not going to settle well. All right. So because you guys have developed this plan, uh, so kind of, you know, we can copy, you can you can deal with the unpredictable. Do you foresee kind of the because it's it's not really a secret that, you know, climate change is happening. We're having a lot more unusual weather events. We're having blizzards in North Texas and other parts of Texas that aren't used to seeing snow and we're having ice everywhere. Do you kind of foresee more of these impacts? Uh, affecting the supply chain as kind of we move out through the rest of the year and into the years to come? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, we are already seeing it, as you said, you know, Texas getting snow, right? That like completely disrupts the supply chain because we just don't have trucks that are capable of cleaning uh, the roads and just making it available for people. Uh, and, you know, we saw, for example, last year where we had one week in Los Angeles where like that one week temperatures were not by like you know, 20 to 30 degrees. And there was a massive heat wave that hit for like, you know, three to four days. If you basically have a static rule of, hey, this is how I ship my orders to California, like let's say through the summer, then you're just going to have a bunch of damaged products like specifically to those two days because you're not really being dynamic or proactive about it. So we see a lot more of those events happening where it's basically just for a few days, you know, randomly on a, on a, on a place of the country where, if you're not really on top of it from a data or like if you can't adjust what you're doing from a systems perspective, then you're definitely going to be taking a big hit when it comes to you know, inventory and, and customer satisfaction. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't even imagine. Uh, like, for example, last year, I've lived in the Midwest my entire life. Um, I learned about corn sweat last year. And that is when it is so hot uh, that the corn starts like putting off its own humidity, which then is increasing the humidity and making it hotter creating more humidity and stuff from the corn and that was like it we were hitting like record highs of like heat indexes and everything and so if i was trying to ship something through pretty much anywhere from nebraska all the way to like ohio i was just getting stuck in this like just giant tunnel of heat i was in my very own basically easy bake oven so i think that you know having stuff like that in place where okay well we see that this is atypical for this time of the year or you know, it's hot, but it's very, very hot, um, especially in the temperature controlled space. I feel like that has to at least help because as you know, okay, it's a two day point, but a day and a half of this, I have to go through this easy bake oven that has to help at least in the beginning of saying, okay, well, then we maybe need to add a little bit more, um, you know, insulation or coolant to whatever I'm shipping. So that way 
the product inside can actually stay safe and um, hopefully make it in one piece. I mean, we've seen that, for example, with a blizzard, when there's a blizzard above a certain amount of you know inches of snow, the on-time delivery of a box drops from the high 90s to the high 60s. So there's almost like a 40 you know point or like almost like a 30 something point drop in on-time delivery for that shipment. So you know, if you know that, then why are you even shipping the box? But to be able to do that, you need the systems in place to be able to be proactive about that. But the numbers are just, you know, incredible when it comes to performance of logistics tied to major weather events. I absolutely love that you guys have like been able to capture that data and kind of because we all know that whenever there's a blizzard or a weather event that like naturally service falls off and it's not as great. But the fact that you guys actually have the data and like kind of the knowledge behind it of like, yeah, we could send it now and have a 20% chance of it getting there or we could just wait a day and everything will be fine or you know it'll it has a higher chance of getting there but I love the fact that you guys have that data behind it because that is something that I think a lot of shippers forget about or they don't necessarily think that there is um, they don't necessarily kind of put stock or have that own kind of data on there totally I mean and we're definitely you know still a long way to go when it comes to a like you know the analysis of data and being more proactive about the decisions but uh, definitely with what we've been able to pull together has been a huge help for our customers. Absolutely. I can only imagine. I I, I absolutely love it, but that's just me, the, the, da- the data nerd side of it. <laughs> All right. So I have two more questions for you. Uh, the first one is how, like, do you see, we've touched on it a little bit. How do you see the demand for kind of this direct-to-consumer temperature-controlled logistics evolving? Do you kind of seeing it being... Mm-hmm. Uh, a short a short rise or just kind of a this is probably going to stay here for a while so my personal experience with the industry is that over the last decade it's been evolving where before let's say 10 years ago you had to basically convince and teach someone that they can get something perishable delivered to their houses like it was an uphill battle to say hey you know I'll give you the butcher box example at the beginning. We were not even like, hey, buy butcher box. It was more like, hey, you can buy, you know, frozen meat delivered to your house. And that was basically like a roadblock that we have in front of us where you had to teach the consumer that they can do that and that they and they could trust that food delivered to their houses. Nowadays, it's almost like common sense. Like a lot of people just know and understand that they can go online and they can buy food or farm or flowers and it gets delivered to their houses refrigerated. So I lived through that change of consumer behavior and that's why I'm very bullish on the industry because now that people know, like it's mostly just a a product question, not a capability question, which is why we're very focused on what we're doing, which is, hey, like we'll solve the capability question. Now you just focus on the product question. Uh, But like I'll go online and I'll buy anything refrigerated. I just trust that it makes it to my house. You know, that, that's how we've seen that consumer trend change for the last decade. And that's why we think it's here to stay. Oh, absolutely. I can't even tell you how many times I've, I personally have said, oh, well, I mean, I can just, you know, if it exists, I can definitely have it delivered somehow or some way. I can have it delivered. I mean, 10 years ago, it was like, hey, it, like you have to get where that help. Yeah, I was the same. I was like, you can't get groceries delivered. I literally just had them delivered last week. Specific. All right. So that being said, we already know where you stand on cereal and soup. This time, I'm going to need your best cheesy dad joke. Mm. 
So I'm not a, I'm not at that yet. So that's going to be challenging for me. But I have a uh, logistics jokes, uh, which is a good mix. Which which could actually also be combined with that uh, dad jokes as well. Um, but uh, did you hear the uh, did you hear the joke about the late shipment? Because most didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. That one is that was a very good one. That was a really good one. I, I appreciate that. Um, I love I love cheesy jokes. They are they are my brand of humor. So that is that is top tier one. Well done. Get it on your books. <laughs> All right. So if anyone has any other cheesy jokes or if they have any questions about the temperature controlled fulfillment space, where can they find you outside the show? Uh, so LinkedIn, uh, you know, our, our company's website, Grip, uh, LinkedIn or my personal one, uh, C or Juan Camilo Mesel. And then I just rejoined Twitter a couple months ago after like 11 months of opening it once and never using it. Um, so you can also find me there at Juan Camilo Basil or the company as well. Awesome. God, Godspeed to your Twitter adventure. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a trek. It's a trek. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it goes. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good to see you, Mary. You can catch other episodes of Running on Ice right here on YouTube or anywhere else you get your podcasts like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Need more running on ice news? No sweat. Subscribe to the newsletter on freightwaves.com slash running on ice. See you on the internet.